Amen. Let's take our Bibles now. If you'd like to use a Bible provided for you as well there in the chair, it's page 1009 and it is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're making our way and have been for many weeks to this great letter that reminds us, reminded Christians then and Christians of all ages, Jesus is better. He's better. And let us not settle for anything, anything less. And so we've come down and we're in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you turn there, please. And then I do just want to say a, a, a personal invitation to the class that was mentioned earlier uh, called Fixer Upper. Really excited. Uh, Susan and myself teach this along, along with Fred and Ruth Blevins and starts a week from Wednesday night at 6.30 in the downstairs fellowship hall. Parking is in the back. We'd love to have you come. I'm looking forward to this time. And it is for all ages and I think it'll be a great help. But we're looking forward to sharing that. Hope that you can come, many of you. Now we're going to read God's word together, and uh, honestly, we've stood for a while, and praise the Lord, and if you're able to stand as we read scripture, please, if not, you just remain seated, but we're going to read God's word, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11, we'll begin reading at verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it, it, it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask now your blessing as we open your word and we ask for your grace to open our hearts to your word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Speaking to us as a church collectively and as your people individually. And, oh, Lord, we pray for you to speak and draw people out of darkness into the light. Oh, Lord, draw us out of unbelief into faith. May you send out your light and truth. May you, oh, Lord, bless all the churches in our, in our community this day, lifting up Jesus and his word. Lord, visit our community, this city, our region. Oh, God, we ask now for your help. 
And I pray in this hour that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable to you, O Lord. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you followed along in that reading, there's certainly one conclusion that you would come to is that faith responds. We've been talking about that faith is not just something that is in your mind, but it reaches into the very fiber of your being so that you respond. You respond to God. And you also, in reading this, would see that faith responds and then the Father rewards. When we, by faith, trust God, we act upon his promises, then God responds. He, he rewards faith. He is a rewarder, the Bible tells us, of all those who diligently seek him. Verse 6, we learn that great truth. But now as faith responds it, it, and the Father rewards, it doesn't always happen immediately, does it? It doesn't. But always inevitably. And always immeasurably. God always responds to faith. It is inevitable and God's blessing on faith is immeasurably greater than what we do in our faith. God said this to a little boy, but it's a truth for all ages. When he said to that child Samuel who was ministering in the tent of the meeting, he said to him one night, Those who honor me, I will honor them. Those who honor me, I will honor them. Faith is seeking to honor God. And when we honor God, God's promise is that he will honor us. Now, the writer of Hebrews here is trying to motivate people to persevere in their faith. Especially these new Jewish converts, not to turn back in the face of opposition, not to turn back because the promise of Jesus' return has not yet taken place, not to turn back because things have not gone as they thought they would, but to persevere in faith. And in order to help these Jewish believers, he reaches back into their own hall of fame, so to speak. He reaches back to the lives of men and women who did believe. They persevered in faith. And so we have been reading this morning and also last few Sunday mornings about historical individuals. They are real. They lived. They truly lived and died and they live again. They're historical individuals, but they have a timeless testimony. These examples are not just for people in the first century. These examples are for us in the 21st century and all the centuries to come, right? And so what we wanted to see this morning is that God rewards faith. Faith responds and the Father rewards. And there are several examples of this that we want to look at that we've just read about this morning. The first example we have is the example of devoted faith. Devoted faith. This is the example of Abraham. We read about him in verses 17 through 19. And when I say devoted faith, I use that word because it's about love. Devoted faith is a faith not based on fear of God or faith that's based on fear of consequences, This is faith that's based on love. It's based on love. Now, the word love, as almost all of you know, is used hundreds of times in the Bible. This book is a book of love, right? That word is used hundreds of times, but the first time the word love is ever used in the Bible, it is used in connection with the life of this man Abraham. The Bible tells us 
that when Abraham was about 114 or 115 years of age, and his dimming eyes just rejoiced to see the figure of his growing stalwart son Isaac, that God spoke to Abraham in an unmistakable way, and this is what God said. God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of Moriah that I will show you. That's the first time the word love is used in the Bible. It described the bond between the father and the son, between Abraham and Isaac. And isn't it amazing? God asked Abraham to do the most unthinkable thing. And he asked him in the most painful way he could have asked Abraham. It's almost like he chose the words, and he did choose the words very intentionally. Abraham, my servant, my friend, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. Well, you just imagine the struggle that went on in the soul of this old saint of God. There was no doubt that this was his master's voice. There was no doubt of what the command was. And you can imagine over the next three days, because it was a three-day journey to the mountains of Moriah, that the agony must have just overwhelmed Abraham. And at night, he must have gone away by his son, from his son at the campfire and gone out in the night and under those stars cried out to God, this must not be the way. There must be another way. But visualize the scene. They finally reached the mountains of Moriah. And just so you know, Moriah is the ridge of mountaintops on which Jerusalem sits. One of those mountaintops is Mount Calvary. And imagine the scene. The father and the son go up that mountain together. The father has the knife in his belt. He has the fire for the wood. The son has the wood on his back carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And finally, the son asked the question that the father had been dreading for days. Father, here's the wood for the sacrifice, and here's the fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham choked out the words. My son, God will provide himself with a lamb for the sacrifice. Think of the utter submission of Isaac as it finally dawns on him when he, a strapping 14 or 15-year-old boy, has his aged father kneel in front of him and begin to bind his hands. He knows what is about to happen and he is young enough to tear those bonds away and overcome his father and run. But he has such trust in his father, even though he no doubt has fear filling his heart. He, he, re, he completely re, gives himself and release to faith in his father. And father puts him on the wood. Puts his hand, no doubt, over his son's face. Lifts that knife to God. And just as he's about to strike into his son's throat, God speaks, Abraham, Abraham, do not touch the son, your son. Now I know that you love me. You've not withheld your own son from me. And the Bible says Abraham lifted up his eyes. And what did he see? A ram 
caught in a thicket by his horns. Isn't that amazing? He saw a ram crowned with thorns. And he took the ram that was crowned with thorns and there on the mountain of Moriah, maybe the very place of Calvary, he offered up this ram in the place of his son. And has there ever been such a joyous worship, you think, ever, than that old man and his son worshiping their God in front of that sacrifice? What a moment. Abraham experienced God that day. He had such an experience with God. You know what he did that day? He renamed God. He called his God Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He experienced God like he had never experienced him before. He had walked with God almost 50 years, but he had never known God like he knew him now. And he named him out of that experience. And he expressed God as God had never been expressed. God had never been known as Jehovah Jireh, but he took his servant to the brink so that his servant, sustained by his grace and through faith, could make God known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. That's the reason the Sunday before Thanksgiving... Each year we have this Jehovah Jireh offering reminding us in some small comparative way that the God who spared not his own son for us, how will he not also freely give us all things, right? How could Abraham do it? How could he possibly do it? Here is how Abraham could do it. Through faith in a faithful God, Abraham worked something out in his mind. And it went like this. God has promised this son. And God has told me that through this son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He has promised me that many nations will come from this son. And if he is asking for my son's life and God cannot lie, then the only possible conclusion is he is going to raise him from the dead. And verse 19 says that's exactly what he considered. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. How astounding this is. This is a dress rehearsal for Calvary, a dress rehearsal for the resurrection, because there was a Father, Father God, who so loves loves sinners like you and me, that he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. And having delivered him up and Jesus stretching himself out willingly on that altar of wood, he and the Father carried out the sacrifice through Jesus' substitute. He died for our sins and God raised him from the dead that through him the nations of the earth might become his sons and daughters. What a God we serve, right? What a God we serve. Abraham in devoted faith laid his Isaac down. What does Isaac mean? It means joy. God didn't ask Abraham to lay his sin down. God didn't ask Abraham to lay his bad habits down. He didn't ask him to lay down his misplaced priorities. This was his dearest friend on earth. But he asked him to lay the joy of his life down. He asked him, Abraham, do you love me even above this great joy of your life? And my friend, I'm telling you, if you follow God, And you follow him with faith. 
God's going to bring you to a place, and he may be bringing you just this morning, right here in this house, in his presence. And he's asking you to let go of the most precious thing you have. He's asking you to stop trying to control that which is so precious to you, which deep in the places of your heart you might not want to admit, but you're afraid that God might take it. And it's not an it. It could be that. It could be him. It could be her. You know what it is. And God says, will you open your hands and give me that? Faith responds and says, Lord, all I am is yours and therefore all I have is yours. I offer this to you. God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. Faith responds, and the Father rewards. He always rewards. Now, not always immediately. And so we have the example here, not just of devoted faith like Abraham, but we have some examples of dying faith. Dying faith. Not dead faith. (laughs) Faith's not dead, right? The Bible says if faith does not have works, then it's a dead faith. It's not really faith at all because faith will cause you to respond. None of us respond perfectly in faith, but if we have faith, we will respond. It's not dead faith, but dying faith. What is dying faith? Listen carefully. Dying faith is a faith that reaches beyond your lifetime. Dying faith is a faith that in spite of the detours in life, in spite of distractions and difficulties, in spite of the fact that you can look at the calendar and you see that you do not have that much time left. Faith is that kind of faith, dying faith, that you know some of your dreams are not going to be realized. Things are not going to happen that you thought were going to happen. But you know that your heavenly Father is eternal God and your faith reaches even beyond your lifetime. Now that's dying faith. Dying faith. Could call it future faith. Future faith. We have faith that The Lord has dealt with our past. Thank God, right? We have faith that he's enough in the present. But faith that he's enough even after our final breath. His promises are true. That's faith. Faith like that of Isaac. He had that kind of faith. Look at verse 20. He lived by faith. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, already we see that Isaac surrendered to his earthly father. When he got on that that altar of wood, he surrendered to his earthly father. But he had to go on and learn to surrender to his heavenly father. And it was hard for him because he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was his firstborn. Esau was his favorite. He wanted the blessing to go to Esau. And then his his wife and his younger son, Jacob, they tricked him. They manipulated him in his old age and blindness. And yet he came to see that God was doing something he couldn't understand. And even in death, he invoked the blessings of God Upon his sons, according to what God had revealed to his heart about them. He had future faith. He invoked the future blessings of God. I want to stop here this morning for a moment and say to parents and grandparents here, do you believe in the power of the blessing of faith on sons and daughters? You don't see it now, you don't understand it all. It may not be making sense, but do you believe enough to invoke the blessings of your God upon your children and your grandchildren? Do you ever take them by the hand? Do you ever, around grace, even grab your grandchildren? Maybe they're playing next to you. You just put your hands on their head and you call down the blessing of their grandfather and grandmother's God on their head. 
That's real stuff. That's powerful. Let your children and your grandchildren, regardless of what happens to them, have heard your voice calling your God upon their lives. As a faith of Isaac, future faith, <laughs> how his son had tested him, Jacob. <laughs> he had tested his father's faith. And, but look at the faith of Jacob. He's next. And now, think of his name. I mean, people were thinking of Isaac, and they were thinking of him and his wife and what they named him, Jacob. Do you ever think that because you hear somebody, what's his name? And you give him the name and you go, in nice smiley face, you're going, oh, why would you do that? Inside. They got to live with that name for the rest of their life. <laughs> what's Jacob mean? You know what it means? He who grabs the heel. He who grabs the heel. You see, he and his brother Esau were born. Esau born first and Jacob born holding on to his brother's heel. And so that's what they named him, Jacob. But really, there was a, a prophetic word over that because Jacob lived up to his name. He was a trickster. He was a manipulator. Jacob was not a nice guy. You would never want to buy a used car from Jacob. You'd shake hands with Jacob, you'd count your fingers afterward. He has, he's got angles. He's always working an angle. He's got more angles than a geometry class. Jacob is tricky, manipulative. He's a control freak. He's got to control everyone. He's got to be in charge. All the details, he's got to have it. That's Jacob. But he had to learn something. You cannot manipulate Almighty God. You can't work an angle on the God of heaven and earth. You cannot control the one who is all-powerful. He had to learn that. And God taught him in the most amazing way you can imagine. To me, it's one of the most unbelievable, amazing, and I believe it, but it's one of the most dumbfounding scenes in the Bible. Here comes Jacob back after being gone all these years. He knows he ripped off his brother Esau 20 years earlier. He's coming back. He's a rich man now. He's got a plan. I'll try to control this situation. i got to get this. So he starts sending out presents and gifts. And then he sends a few more gifts. And then he sends some of his wives and their children. And then lastly, he sends... Uh, Rachel and Rachel goes across and she's got the little ones there with her and finally the next day he'll wait give him one more night and I'll come he's got it all worked out and that night here's what happened Almighty God came down and threw Jacob on the ground and started wrestling with him. Read it. It's in the Bible. Wrestled with him. He's throwing Jacob around like a rag doll. I don't know what Jacob's feeling, but he's never felt strength like this. If he were today, he'd think, who has got me? I walked into a WWF ring. I don't know what's happened here. I, I, what's going on? Finally, somehow, we don't know. Jacob figures out who this is. He's wrestling Almighty God. And God hits him in the hip and the muscles in his hip shrink so that Jacob can't even stand up anymore. He just falls down and all he can do is hold on to the heel of God. All he can do is be the one who holds the heel, but he's got a hold of God. And then God says the most amazing thing. You know what God said to him? Let me go. <laughs> How many of you know 
God's got no problem here. He can just shake his leg and Jacob will be the first astronaut. Boom. <laughs> I mean, he'd still be going. God says, let me go. And you know what Jacob's saying? In the dirt, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He's got it. My problems, not my tricky Uncle Laban ahead of me. My problems, not my betrayed brother in front of me, Esau. My problems, myself. And I need a touch of God on my life. And I won't let you go unless you bless me. And then God says, watch your name. How many of you know when God's asking a question, he's not needing information? <laughs> he knows who he is. But he makes him say it. I'm Jacob. Where is Jacob? On the floor holding onto the heel of God. I'm Jacob, but you've asked me to bless you. You get it. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel, which means prince of God or someone who has been a man with God. He's, he has come to God and laid hold of God. That's the idea. It's almost untranslatable. And he becomes Israel. He goes from being a manipulator of people to a man of God. God changed his name. And guess what? Changed his walk too. That hip never came back. Rest of his life, Jacob walked a different walk. You know why? It reminded him he'd met God. And you meet God, I mean, really meet him and ask him to bless you. You know what? You don't ever quite walk the same anymore. The rest of his life, he had to have a staff. And he walked with that staff, a worshiper and a man of God. And when he died, that's the way he died. The Bible says that he died worshiping on the head of his staff. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He called himself a sojourner. What's a, soul, what's a sojourner? A person on a soul journey. person who walks with God. It's a walk of worship. And that's how he died. And he died expressing future faith. I won't live to see it. I don't know what all these 12 boys are going to do. But he died invoking the blessing of his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac on the heads of the, his sons, his grandsons. The Bible says he blessed the sons of Joseph. <laughs> it's interesting. You ever read how he blessed the sons of Joseph? <laughs> Joseph brought him his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim, his firstborn, he brought him to the right side. And Manasseh, his youngest. And you know what old Jacob did when he started to bless him? What's the Bible say he did? He crossed his hands. And Joseph goes, no, no, daddy. No, no, daddy. This is the elder and this is the younger. He says, I know, my son. But. The blessing will be on the younger by God's grace and not on the elder. And what was it that Jacob had done before he really became Israel? Tricked his own father. Tricked his father. And now he'd come to recognize. I was the younger 
and I receive the blessing. God is the God of grace, and he blessed those boys in trusting God and God's plan. He blessed the sons of Joseph. Now, Joseph won an example of faith. By faith, Joseph followed the Lord. But what happened to Joseph in his teenage years? Joseph, again, wouldn't have been the greatest teenager to get along with. He's kind of stuck on himself. Always going around to his 11 brothers. Wearing his coat of many colors. You know, look at this. And then he'd tell him about the, his dreams. Hey, I had a dream. <laughs> Saw all you guys bowing down to me. Oh, yeah, I'd make you real popular with your brothers. <laughs> and they hated him. And what he was in no way called out the anger. They, they th- threw him in a pit. And they were planning to kill him. But... His brother interceded for him and said, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And they sold him into slavery. Here goes Joseph, tied, following a caravan to Egypt, crying and weeping for his brothers not to do it. He's 17 years of age. He goes to Egypt. What was the experience? Abuse. He's abused as a slave. He's sexually abused by a wanton woman who tries to abuse him. And when he stands and runs away from the temptation, then she lies on him. And he's thrown in prison. And in prison, God's with him. And he helps people in prison. Then they get out and they forget him. This goes on for 13 years. Finally, he becomes the interpreter of the dreams of Pharaoh and He becomes prime minister of Egypt. And one day, 11 men come looking for food in Egypt. And guess who they are? The 11 brothers who sold him into slavery, who were the cause of his abuse, who were the cause of his pain and his heartache and his tears night and day. Here was his chance to get back at those who abused him. But what did he do? Rather than expressing abuse, he expressed blessing. He blessed them. He blessed them. He could do that because he had future faith. He knew that God was doing something he could not understand. He knew that God was even in the midst of this and that by God's grace, he had sent him ahead to be a savior to his people. You know what Joseph is? Listen up, church. Joseph is the epitome in the Bible of what I like to call a generation of grace. A generation of grace. What's that mean? He received abuse. His life was filled with abuse. But as he called out to God, he found deliverance in his heart, first of all. And then he was able to say, I won't pass on this abuse. I won't pass it on to the next generation. My God's bigger than my abuse. I will pass on blessing. And friends, that's what many of you are in this room. Thank God. And that's what many of you can be. The abuse is real. The mental abuse. The psychological abuse. Some of you sexual abuse and physical abuse. It's been real and terrible. Don't deny it. But there's a God who's bigger than that abuse. There's a God of grace. And he can change your heart so that, yes, it stops with you. The insanity stops with you. The abuse stops with you. You will pass on a new legacy. What a reason to live. My friend, do not say, I can't help the way I hurt people. I was hurt. I can't help that I'm difficult 
Look what I've experienced. I can't help that I'm influencing people like this. Look at what happened in my life. My friend, look at what happened on the cross for you before your life. You can have a different life. Pass it on. Freely you have received in Christ. Freely give. No one has ever abused me the way I abused Jesus Christ. It was my sins that put him on the cross. And he has forgiven me. How can I not forgive others? Future faith. The Bible says in verse 22 that Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions. You know what he said? He said, yes, you can embalm me like the Egyptians do. You can make a mummy out of my body and you can put me in an Egyptian coffin, but don't you dare put me in the ground. Don't you bury me in Egypt. God is going to visit you. He's going to take you to the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know when it's happening, but when you go, don't you leave me behind. And 300 years later, when they crossed the Red Sea, guess who they were carrying with them? They were carrying Joseph to put him in the cave with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had future faith. Friends, I just want you to see this, that God has called us not just to a future faith, but see this as we come to a close, a decisive faith, faith in our decisions. You see, it all comes down to your decisions. What is your life? Your life is the sum total of your decisions. And our decisions are an expression of our faith. We, we do what we do because we believe what we believe. You will live your beliefs. Because you see, your belief, your faith is based on what you know about God. And God determines your values, what you value. And your values determine your decisions. And your decisions determine your life. And so your decisions are connected to your faith. Put those two together. In decisive faith. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Here's faith. Make your decisions based on faith. Listen carefully. Revealed faith. Don't think faith means you create your own reality. Faith is when you have to make a decision and you say, does God say anything about this? Is there a word from the Lord about this? Are there principles in his word? What does the Holy Spirit have to say about this? And see what happens. You make your decisions in response. You don't, you don't say, you know what? I think I'll go around to my study hall and find out what everybody thinks. Or I'll go to my lunch table. Or I'll go to my club. You may find good advice there. I don't know. But friend, don't do anything until you've checked with God. Don't make your decisions and ask God to sprinkle some blessing on them. But find out what God says and then act upon his principles. That's faith. Faith responds with decisions like Moses' mother and father. Verse 23, they didn't care what Pharaoh had said. They were not going to kill their son. And Moses' parents said no, and guess what? They taught their son to say no. <laughs> Somebody said, I never had to teach my son how to say no. I mean, no to things that are wrong. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused that because he had a different value system, even though he was a prince of Egypt. The value in his heart was the value system of his faith in God. And so he, verse 25, here was his decision. He chose rather to be mistreated 
with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose that he thought more valuable to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy what kind of pleasures? There's pleasure in sin. Fleeting pleasures of sin. Temporary pleasures. Why? Because his value system was based on an eternal treasure. What was the eternal treasure of Moses? Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ. What did Moses have to do with Christ 1,400 years earlier? He knew of the anointed one to come. The Messiah. The promised one. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had talked about. He knew of that and he considered being aligned with the line of Messiah greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. You know, it's not like this. It's not like Moses was saying, well, I could have all these riches or nothing. That's not what he did. He said, I could have all these riches. (sighs) I could have... God. Listen, Christians, you follow Jesus, you never really make a sacrifice. Take the whole world, but give me who? Oh, that's a deal every day. Because the whole world, a million times over, is not worth the reward of the Lord Jesus. People, what did they say? Moses, you're throwing your life away. You're throwing your life away. How do you know if you're, that's true. How do you know if you're throwing your life away? Well, you know if you're throwing your life away because does the vision last? If it lasts, if the vision lasts, then you haven't thrown your life away. Verse 27, Moses' vision lasts. He left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. All of his life, he wasn't seeing that he had thrown his life away because he was always seeing the Lord. How do you know if you're throwing your life away? By T-I-M-E. You want to know whether you're throwing your life away? Measure it by time. Forty years later, Forty years later, what happened? By faith, he kept the Passover. He sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn could not teach them. Let me ask you a question. Question. Moses is inside his house, blood over the top of his doorpost with his family, and the destroyer is coming through, and there's death all through the land of Egypt. Do you think Moses was thinking, wow, did I make a mistake? No. He's thinking, I'm so grateful I listened to God. So grateful I'm under the blood. I'm under the blood. Forty years later, when they passed through the Red Sea and on to this 40 years of wandering, now he's 120 years old. When Moses is 120 and he's on that mountaintop and he's looking at the children of Israel going across the promised land, do you think he's going, I could have had it all. Man, think how rich I could be now. Wow. Did I ever mess up 80 years ago? No, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. Not on your life. I've been by the bedside of hundreds of dying people. I've never heard one say, if I could have just made a few more dollars. If I could have just spent more time doing this or that. Or if I, if I just could have made a few more deals. No, 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 no. I've never, ever heard that. And I've never been by the bedside of one person who's a believer in Jesus Christ who said ever, now that I'm at the end, I wish I hadn't have followed Jesus. 
Oh, no. And now, friend, let me tell you, you want to be wise today? Listen carefully. Start right there. Your deathbed. Go there right now. Go right now. Right now to your deathbed. And walk back from it. You're not there yet. And I don't know how far you are from it. But you can decide today. I know that day's coming. And when I get there. I want to get there with future faith, not past regrets. You live today for that day. And you'll live a life that means something. I've got to let you go. And you say, yes, you have to let us go. (laughs) Nation was delivered, verses 29 to 31. A city was delivered into the people of God. (laughs) Most fortified city. Verse 30 in the world at that time, Jericho. It was between them and the abundant life. God made them walk around it six days in a row and then seven times over. And there it was, this stronghold. And what did God say? I want you to walk around it in faith and praise my name and I will knock it down. I will knock it down. (laughs) They shouted. They blew on those trumpets. And the city was rocked by God. And a sinner was delivered. Verse 31. Rahab the prostitute. She wasn't saved because she had a good heart. Rahab wasn't Miss Kitty of Gunsmoke or something like that. She'd lived a bad life, like all of us have lived a wrong kind of life. And she wasn't saved and delivered because she told a good lie. She was saved because she had faith in a good God. And she was delivered from the destruction that came all around her. And her life was changed. And guess what? Her legacy was changed. Because I want to tell you something. Rahab got married. She married a Jewish man, Salmon. They had a son named Boaz. They had a grandson named Obed. And a great-grandson named Jesse. And a great-great-grandson named David. And 27 years later, after Rahab the harlot was born from her descendants, through Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Faith changes everything. And it's when faith enough to say, I surrender all. 